Welcome to Silly History, I'm Matt Pekarski. I love funny stories, especially when they come from real life. I've compiled a long list of true tales that made me laugh, and now I want to share them with you. There's a lot of crazy stuff historical figures did or said, and yet we've never heard about them. History class would have been a lot more interesting with some of these sprinkled in here and there. Not that I ever disliked learning history. Hopefully there's at least a couple of yarns you haven't heard before. Let's hear one now. It was 8 p.m. on October 30th, 1938. Citizens across America were feeling on edge, still struggling through the Great Depression. One month prior, the Great New England Hurricane of 1938 had decimated the southern New England states. And on top of everything else, another world war was looming. But tonight, people were sitting down to listen to their radios. Radio programming was the reigning form of entertainment at the time. And on that Sunday evening, the CBS radio network was broadcasting Ramon Riquello and his orchestra, performing a melodious tango at the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York. But the music was interrupted by a special news bulletin. Correspondent Carl Phillips reported live from the office of the young and famous Princeton University professor, Richard Pearson, who had just been notified that chance explosions were occurring in a foreign territory. They were definitely a pause for concern, given the current state of world affairs, but in Pearson's expert opinion, there was nothing to worry about. As the two men discussed the anomalies, another special update came in. It appeared that something had crash-landed into a field in nearby Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Again, Pearson didn't think much of it, and he certainly didn't think it had anything to do with the foreign eruptions. The two men made their way to the crash site, where a small crowd had already formed. And as they approached the site, their eyes fell upon a half-buried object that appeared to be a large metal cylinder. Suddenly, a part of the capsule detached. There was a ghastly humming noise, and panic ensued. There was screaming and sirens. A terrified Carl Phillips described to radio listeners the jet of flame that consumed everyone approaching the object. The wildfire wiped out everything in its path. Just then, radios across the country fell silent. The transmission had gone dead. A CBS New York radio announcer came on the air to inform the public that the New Jersey State Militia had arrived in Grover's Mill to begin body recovery. Professor Pearson was the only person found alive. More reports flooded in. Cylinders were plummeting all over the country. Buffalo, Chicago, St. Louis. It appeared there was no end in sight. And in that moment, everyone knew that America's worst fear was coming true. They were being invaded thrust into another world war, and the foe seemed unstoppable. Military communications were broadcasted over the network, giving listeners an audible glimpse of what they were up against. The radio announcer, standing on the roof of the broadcasting building, described everything he saw below. Mass evacuations, endless traffic jams, and any presence of the U.S. military completely wiped out. He caught glimpse of an enemy squad crossing the Hudson River in their state-of-the-art vehicles. They discharged a poisonous smoke throughout the city, engulfing every person without discrimination. The announcer counted down the distance between the heavy black clouds and himself, and when the sound of his body falling to the ground was heard over the airwaves, the feed switched over to a radio operator, trying to reconnect. Isn't there anyone on the air, he implored. Isn't there anyone? The nation switched into panic mode. Police departments, newspapers, and the CBS network were inundated with phone calls by thousands of confused and frightened listeners. 
In New Jersey, the Trenton Police Department received 2,000 calls in less than two hours, and the National Guard wanted to know where they needed to report for duty. Terrified citizens in Providence, Rhode Island, called the electric company and pleaded with them to cut the power and divert the invaders' attention away from their city. Funny enough, moments after everyone heard the announcer die on air, he suddenly spoke up and said, You are listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It was nothing more than a drama, an adaptation of the famous story in which Martians crash to Earth, rise up in their skyscraper-high battle tripods, and decimate the majority of mankind, only to perish and lose the war thanks to human disease. The radio play was put on by the young and famous voice of Professor Pearson, Orson Welles of Citizen Kane fame, along with his acting troupe from the Mercury Theater. The following morning, CBS brought in Welles for a press conference, where he apologized for causing such a public disturbance. The newspapers had a field day with the debacle, dragging the story out for days. They described the mass hysteria that swept the country, including hospitalizations for shock and heart attacks, suicides, and mass exoduses from major cities. Even on the other side of the world, the Australian newspaper The Age stated that never in the history of the United States had such a wave of terror and panic swept the continent. Truth be told, the entire nation was not even aware of the broadcast. Only 2% of the nation, roughly 1.7 million listeners, believed that the broadcast was real, and another 1.2 million, although frightened, weren't fooled. The majority of Americans had tuned into NBC's Chase and Sanborn Hour, featuring the famed ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and his dummy Charlie McCarthy. The comedy duo had been a smash act for years, with Edgar playing the straight man and Charlie the sarcastic, childish goofball. The Twin City Sentinel of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, even highlighted this fact. Charlie McCarthy last night saved the United States from a sudden and panicky death by hysteria. But when the newspaper industry got wind of those duped by Wells' little show, they pounced. Radio was an unregulated medium, unlike print, and this was an opportunity for newspapers to attack their competitor as an invalid source for information. Thanks to their exaggeration of what happened that night, most people who are familiar with this story have believed it to be completely true, even though half of it is actually legend. This was no hoax, but it sure was one big upsetting prank, and one that would leave almost as much of an impact on Wells' storytelling legacy as his timeless feature film. Even now, on the 85th anniversary of its original air date, it is still just as much fun to tell. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, give it a 5-star rating, and share with not one but two of your friends. If I haven't told your favorite silly story from history, send me an email at nightowlbroadcasting at gmail.com. Subject, Silly History Story. This show is a Night Owl production.